Remember when the globalist elite told us that we needed a great reset of our economy, political order, and really our whole society as a result of COVID? Well, even before COVID ended, the Secretary General of the UN had begun to argue that the real purpose of the Great Reset was not exactly to deal with the coronavirus, but it was to fight to stop climate change. In overcoming the pandemic, we can also avert climate cataclysm and restore our planet. This is an epic policy test, but ultimately, this is a moral test. The trillions of dollars needed for COVID recovery is money that we are borrowing from future generations, every last penny. And we cannot use those resources to lock in policies that burden them with a mountain of debt on a broken planet. It is time to flick the green switch. We have a chance not simply to reset the world economy, but to transform it. A sustainable economy driven by renewable energies will create new jobs, cleaner infrastructure, and a resilient future. And an inclusive world will help ensure that people can enjoy better health and the full respect of their human rights and live with dignity on a healthy planet. COVID recovery and our planet's repair must be the two sides of the same coin. Now, you might be wondering, how did COVID policy become climate policy? Well, the same way that inflation policy became climate policy. You remember that when the Biden administration pushed his Inflation Reduction Act only to admit immediately after its passing that the bill wasn't really about inflation, inflation which it didn't alleviate and probably made worse, but instead about fighting climate change? Well, just yesterday, the UN Secretary General explained that the reason the COVID policy is now about climate change is because everything is about climate change. He lets that little fact slip with one word. Biblical. Rising sea levels combined with the deep intrusion of salt water will make large parts of their huge deltas simply uninhabitable. We see similar threats in the Mekong Delta and beyond. The consequences of all of these are unthinkable. Low-lying communities and the entire countries could disappear forever. We would witness a mass exodus of entire populations on a biblical scale. Biblical scale. Kind of a funny phrase for a globalist elite that openly mocks religion, the traditional moral order, even the existence of God. But it makes sense when you realize that to a materialist, climate is literally everything. It's all the stuff there is. When religious politicians want to push some policy or another, they tend to invoke God, the Ten Commandments, the natural law. These modern, secular, globalist politicians can't do that, but they still want to wield power. And so their arguments transform into weird superstitions about the weather, claims that are just as apocalyptic as any religiously motivated political movement in history. The only difference is that, while the old-timey religious politicians have traditionally been constrained by the fear of God, these people have nothing holding them back in principle from wielding whatever power they want. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. 
Uh, later on in the show, we have a really important interview. You know that I think that pretty much only one news story matters right now, and it happens to be the story that the establishment media will not talk about. That is the uh, environmental catastrophe in Ohio, the, the train that derailed and sent a ton of poison all up into the air in East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, we've got Lindsay Johnston, who is a wife and mother of two daughters who lives in the one-mile evacuation zone in East Palestine. So because, uh, unfortunately, the residents of East Palestine are not getting very much airtime right now, and Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden are trying to just blow past this whole thing, uh, we will have her on the show a little bit later. My favorite comment yesterday is from Frank S., who says, Chelsea Handler's life without kids is so great that she had to make up 90% of her day. Great observation. In her video, which was supposed to be funny, I guess, she says, I'm childless, so I wake up in the morning and then I go right back to bed. And then I pleasure myself. And she goes through some kind of normal things. And then it becomes very quickly fantastical. And she says, then I go to Paris and then I kill Hitler. And then I do this and then I do that. And the, the joke here, I don't know if she really intended this, is that all the people who say that they don't want to have kids and they don't want a family because they just want to amuse themselves all day long don't have all that much to do. <laughs> the, the millennials who say, oh, no, we don't want kids. We want to go have brunch. There's only so much brunch you can eat, okay? Brunch goes for like an hour and a half or two hours. What are you going to do with the rest of your day? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? If you want to just amuse yourself all the time, George Bernard Shaw famously said, that hell is the place where you have nothing to do but amuse yourself. We got to go do stuff. And when you got to go do stuff, you've got to have some energy and some focus. That's why you got to check out Black Rifle Coffee. Right now, go to blackriflecoffee.com. Use promo code Knowles. Black Rifle Coffee is fueling Americans before they go out and do epic things with their lives. Led by a team of military veterans, the guys at Black Rifle Coffee are hyper-focused and hyper-vigilant in everything they do. Lucky for you, they are obsessed with making great coffee because every great adventure starts with a great cup of coffee. They serve great coffee to folks who love America, and that's the start and end of it. More than just making great coffee, Black Rifle Coffee's missionary goal is to give back to Americans who have fought and are fighting for freedom in this country. They want to sell enough premium coffee to be able to build a support network for veterans, first responders, and law enforcement. If you want to support this incredible company, go to blackriflecoffee.com. Use promo code Knowles at checkout for 10% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. The coffee is one of a kind, but it's your support. It gets gear, funding, and supplies into the hands of those on our front lines. Go to blackriflecoffee.com. Promo code Knowles. Get 10% off. You can also find Black Rifle Coffee in grocery and convenience stores near you. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee. Speaking of one world government... Speaking of the United Nations and the great resetters and the globalists trying to take all of our political power away, Elon Musk just showed up to the World Government Summit and used his appearance as an opportunity to attack the very idea of world government. One thing I should say, on, I know this is called the World Government Summit, um, but um, I think we should be maybe a little bit concerned about uh, actually becoming too much of a single world government. Um, if, if I may say that we want to avoid creating a civilizational risk by having, um, frankly, this may sound a little odd, too much cooperation between governments. Um, you know, if you know, if you look at say the, at history and the rise and fall of civilizations, um, that the really all throughout history civilizations have risen and fallen, but it hasn't meant the doom of humanity as a whole because there've been 
there have been all these separate civilizations that were separated by great distances. And so, um, you know, say like while Rome was falling, it, uh, it, you know, uh, Islam was rising. And uh, so you had like a, uh, you know, the, the sort of caliphate do, doing incredibly well while Rome was doing terribly. Um, and that actually ended up being a source of preservation of knowledge uh, and, uh, and many scientific advancements. Love it. Well, Elon every day more and more shows that he is, he is the people's billionaire. He actually is doing things that matter politically to take power back from this crooked leftist globalist elite. He's doing it in the big tech sector. Obviously, he cracked the monopoly of the libs on big tech and through Twitter and then released the Twitter files and brought some transparency. Now he's making really important points at the One World Government Summit. You know that I am no small government conservative. I don't think the founding fathers were small government conservatives. I think the idea of a small government in a country of 330 million people that spans from sea to shiny sea and has an empire overseas is laughable. And it's never happened anywhere and it will never happen in real life. But I am a strong proponent of limited government. I, I want government to be confined to its proper limits. And what these globalists, what the great resetters, what the one world government type elites want is no limits whatsoever. It's amazing that we look back on forms of government from the 17th century, from the 16th century. And we say, oh, that was terrible. It was, that, that, it was so backwards. You had, in those centuries, you had monarchies. In fact, you had divine right monarchies who believed that they had a right from God to rule their nations. Divine right monarchs claimed much less power than our current globalist elites. Because divine right monarchs, at least, were believed that they were held in check by God. They were accountable to somebody. And they were quite accountable to somebody because if they acted in a way that was unjust, they were going to roast for eternity. Our current globalist elites, they don't believe that their power to rule comes from God. They don't believe in God. They don't think they're accountable at all. They think their power to rule comes from their ability to get that power. And they've done a bang up job of taking power away from you in recent years. And so there are no limits in principle to what they will do. Divine right monarchs at least appreciated the principle of subsidiarity. The, the emperors, the Holy Roman emperors, the, the emperors throughout history at least recognized the, the principle of subsidiarity that you would have decisions made at the most local level possible where those decisions could be made with competence, where, where power could be exercised with competence. And then if it couldn't at a more local level, then you'd bring it up to another level and another level and another level. We have that here in America. We call it federalism. You make decisions at the town level, then at the state, the county maybe, then at the state, then and only then at the national level. At least that was the idea that our country was founded on. That seems to have gone away as this liberal globalist elite that wants more and more power at higher and higher levels has taken over. This is a big threat. And, and very few people are standing up against it. Very few people who at least could be invited to these sorts of events are standing up against it. Elon Musk happens to be one of them. Now, speaking of governing the world, the U.S. diplomat 
who's sent to Afghanistan, uh, has obviously her work cut out for her, a lot of problems in Afghanistan. And she has decided that there's one special tool that she can offer to the women of Afghanistan to help alleviate their plight, which we'll get to in one second. First though, do you have a will? You should. If you don't, you got to check out Epic Will. Right now, go to epicwill.com, use promo code Knowles. Recent surveys have revealed that 100% of people will die at some point in their life. This is what the studies show. I cannot stress enough how important it is to write a will. And Epic Will is here to get you started. A will is not just for the elderly or for people with a room full of valuable collectibles. A will is about leaving behind your legacy, having your voice heard when you can't speak for yourself and being there for your loved ones even after you are gone. For just 119 bucks and in as little as five minutes, Epic Will can help you create your last will and testament, living will, and even healthcare power of attorney. Their step-by-step online form makes it super duper easy. All you've got to do is fill in the blanks. 50% of Americans don't have a will. Do not just be another statistic. I, I waited way too long to put my will together. I now feel much more secure about what's going to happen to my money and my stuff, and most importantly, my kids. Go to epicwill.com, use promo code Knowles to save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. That is epicwill.com, promo code Knowles. Karen Decker, the chargé d'affaires of the U.S. mission to Afghanistan. This is the top diplomat that we have in Afghanistan. Uh, Karen Decker recognizes that Afghans, and especially Afghan women, have a lot of challenges right now. And so she's, she's offering them some suggestions on how to improve their lives. She tweets, quote, are Afghans familiar with hashtag black girl magic and the movement it inspired? Do Afghan girls need a similar movement? What about Afghan women? Teach me, ready to learn. Hashtag Black History Month, at Beyonce, at Lizzo, at Regina King. I don't know who Regina King is. Afghan women come up to the embassy or consulate or whatever the U.S. has in Afghanistan. They say, please, can we have bread? Can we have money? Can we not be terrorized by the Taliban? Can you give us guns? Can you give us and Karen Decker stands there. She goes, mm, I think the best I can do is a tweet about black girl magic. Have you checked out black girl magic? Oh, yeah. That, you don't know. Forget about money and guns and food and opportunities and power. And, no, no, no. You, what you need is black girl magic. I don't know what black girl magic is. I certainly don't possess any of it. I'm not familiar with the movement that it inspired. I'm, not, I'm skeptical that any such movement exists. And I am totally convinced that black girl magic will not solve the problems that Afghan women face. I'm not sure that anything will solve the political problems Afghan women face, but certainly not black girl magic. I don't think uh, Black History Month will solve her, their problems. And I don't think even Beyonce will solve their problems. This is not the first crazy tweet that Karen Decker has sent out. Uh, Karen Decker tweeted out not that long ago, quote, in 1960, four black students ordered coffee at a diner in Greensboro, North Carolina. They were refused service, but they would not leave. They came back the next day and a sit-in movement was born. Has nonviolent protest ever been successful in Afghanistan? Why or why not? Hashtag Black History Month. I'll answer Karen's question there. No, 
Nonviolent protest has never been successful in Afghanistan because if you engaged in a nonviolent protest, if you went into the Woolworths of Afghanistan and sat down at the lunch counter, the Taliban would cut your head off. That's why. And that didn't happen here in America because America is a Christian country, or at the very least it was. And America is Western and comes from a civilization that is animated by Christianity. And that's different than a civilization animated by Islam. And because America has a tradition that, beginning in the 18th century, starts to become a little bit more liberal, and by the 20th century becomes quite liberal, and uh, the sort of nonviolent sit-ins that Karen Decker is referring to here would have some political effect in America. Whereas in Afghanistan, they wouldn't do a damn thing. And Black History Month isn't going to help in any way to alleviate the plight of Afghan people. These, these, these American libs, oh my goodness gracious, every time an American diplomat sends out a tweet, I become about 25% more isolationist. I'm not isolationist by nature, but every time I see some of this cringe-inducing nonsense, this liberal piffle claptrap, I, I want to pull my hair out and I want to build a gigantic wall all around the continental United States, and I want to just divorce our country from the rest of the world. So embarrassing is this nonsense. It tells you something, though. It's not just that Karen Decker is crazy and silly and absurd. It's not, that's not the issue. She is articulating the beliefs of the liberal elites who control our country. It's deeply unserious. It's absurd to try to apply these lessons to Afghanistan. We tried it for 20 years. It didn't work. Hence the, the problems that Afghanistan is in right now. But what, what is she articulating? What she is articulating is the slogans of the civil rights movement and pretending that these slogans of the 1960s civil rights movement in America will apply to the entire world. It, it won't. And why? Why does everything seem to come back to the civil rights movement? We talk about gay issues. We talk about bathrooms. We talk about women. We, you know, even when we talk about conservatives, even when we talk about, even when we talk about traditional American ideas, for some reason, it always seems to be framed through the lens of the civil rights movement. This is the new civil rights movement. Even when we talk about the Second Amendment, we say, well, this is really about civil rights. And it's a kind of a new iteration of the civil rights movement. Why? Well, the reason is that the civil rights movement was so successful that it is essentially the constitution that we have been living under for the past 60 years. This was the thesis of a book by Christopher Caldwell, The Age of Entitlement. Really, really great book, which argues that we now have two constitutions in America. We've got the original one, the U.S. Constitution, you know, the one on parchment with the silly handwriting. And then we've got another one, which was the, the Civil Rights Constitution from the 1960s. And those two things are in conflict with one another, certainly on the matter of freedom of association, but on another number of other matters too. And, and his argument is that all of the major constitutional conflicts that we've been dealing with since then are, are a result of the discrepancies between these two rather different constitutions that we are simultaneously attempting to live under and now apparently to export overseas. Black girl magic. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's going to help the women in Kabul. Speaking of black people, the Georgia State Senator Emanuel Jones just highlighted the, the deep unseriousness but, but uh, political danger of, of this new kind of liberal activism in a way that's kind of banal and we've all heard it before, but, but his explanation tells you a lot about it. 
Uh, this guy, State Senator Jones, called Clarence Thomas, you're going to be shocked to hear it, and Uncle Tom. Place a statue of Clarence Thomas on this grounds. We cannot avoid that conversation, so I'm not going to avoid it either. In the black community, we have uh, an expression, and I don't want to use this label too deeply here because I'm just trying to tell you what we have in the African-American community. When we talk about a person of color that goes back historically to the days of slavery and that person betraying his own community, we have a term in the black community. That term that we use is called uh, Uncle Tom. And Uncle Tom is a either a fictional or non-fictional character. I don't really know the origin of Uncle Tom, but it talks about a person who back during the days of slavery sold his soul to the slave masters. This Clarence Thomas, he's an Uncle Tom. And what's an Uncle Tom? It's either a fictional or a non-fictional. You know, come to think of it, I have no idea who the hell Uncle Tom is, but I'm going to call Clarence Thomas one because I don't like him. That sums it up perfectly. That sums it all up. Hey, I don't have any idea what I'm talking about, but screw you, Clarence Thomas. <laughs> That's, those are the attacks generally on Clarence Thomas and on most conservatives. But it shows you something that I have been yelling about for years and wrote a whole book about that became a number one national bestseller, Speechless Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, and that we've got to pay a lot of attention to. Idioms crop up that people often use unthinkingly. This guy is using the idiom, Uncle Tom, unthinkingly. He doesn't know what it means. But that that happens for a lot of us all the time. Let there be light, forbidden fruit, am I my brother's keeper, fire and brimstone, the blind leading the blind, go the extra mile. All of those idioms come from the Bible. Most people don't know that they come from the Bible. In in fact, many people who have never read the Bible, who don't believe in the Bible, will use those idioms all the time. That's that's how culture works. Culture works by certain texts, by certain pieces of art, by certain rituals, just creeping in and not only becoming, not only being inserted into your language, but actually coming to constitute your language. And by constituting your language, it constitutes the way that you think. And that's what you're seeing here with Uncle Tom. This guy has no idea what the the context of Uncle Tom is. He just knows that Uncle Tom means black people aren't supposed to be conservative. That's what he knows about Uncle Tom. And so he just says it. Beep, boop. He's not thinking. This is not a particularly conscious human being. But he's just saying, beep, boop, beep. Clarence Thomas, he's Republican. He's conservative. Bad. Beep, Uncle Tom. It's wrong. You got to vote Democrat. Beep, boop, beep, beep, boop. And that's how culture works. And the libs have done a very, very good job. And as they are pushing the Bible out of our culture, as they're pushing the Bible out of schools, they're pushing these idioms, they're pushing these ways of thinking, they're pushing this language out of our head. That's why they're so obsessed about doing that. That's why they're so obsessed about putting the weird gay porn and the weird liberal intersectionist texts into the schools. The reason they're doing that is not so you can learn some lesson about a, a racial hierarchy. I mean, that's a, that's a secondary effect that they like, but it's more so that your brain just becomes shaped and filled with these, this kind of language, these kinds of images. And so you will unthinkingly carry out their plans. You won't even know that you're doing it. You know, the European Union officially enacted a statute 
that allows food producers to incorporate cricket powder into its flour-based products, not because it tastes better, but because the political elites have deemed that eating the bugs is better for the environment. So right down to the food that you eat, the world wants to make you woke, but not Dennis Prager. He wants to make you wise. And the founder of PragerU is going to do just that with a never-before-seen series exclusively on Daily Wire Plus called The Master's Program with Dennis Prager. Dennis is a mentor with a wealth of experience. What The Master's Program aims to do is take 40 years of wisdom and experience from one of the most influential conservative thinkers in America today and distill it all down to its essence. He covers such topics as the consequences of secularism and is human nature basically good? It's as thought-provoking as it is illuminating. A brand new episode of PragerU's Master's Program is available to stream right now exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. So head on over to dailywireplus.com, become a member, watch PragerU's Master's Program, and much more. dailywireplus.com today. Also, you may have heard me mention that we're celebrating the Our President is for Sale sale over here at the Daily Wire. Did you know that right now over at dailywire.com slash shop, you can get up to 40% off on great stuff, including Smokey Mike and the God King, Nostradamus, and Che Fao Che lines from my collection. Don't wait on taking advantage of the sale. Go to dailywire.com slash shop today. Now, speaking of actual political tokenism, China is attacking Pete Buttigieg. When I see China attacking Pete Buttigieg, I'm reminded of the Iran-Iraq war in which I want both sides to lose. I want the war to be drawn out as long as possible, and I want both sides to lose. Uh, China, through its propaganda outlet, the Global Times, is attacking Buttigieg over that train incident in Ohio that spewed all the poison into the air. We'll be speaking with a resident from East Palestine, Ohio, momentarily. Uh, They're attacking Pete Buttigieg, and they say, Instead of fixing these problems, federal regulators have mulled a proposal backed by the rail lobby that would weaken existing brake safety rules. Notably, Buttigieg does not have any experience in transportation and was essentially a vanity political appointee by the administration of President Joe Biden to help boost his political score. The secretary faced scrutiny recently, on and on and on. I mention this because... It shows you something about propaganda. The Global Times is a state Chinese propaganda outlet. They're attacking Pete Buttigieg over the Ohio incident to distract from the spy balloon incident and China sending a bunch of surveillance over our country. But the charge is that Pete Buttigieg is a vanity political appointee in over his head, manifestly not capable of doing the job, who was only chosen because it helped to boost Joe Biden's political score because Mayor Pete has some appeal to the Democrat base and he's gay and he ran for president and so they just put him in there. That is obviously true. The best propaganda is true. We always think of propaganda as being dishonest, as being lies. So sometimes that's the case. The big lie is propaganda sometimes, which is a misunderstood phrase. Ironically, it is a phrase used by the Nazis to accuse the Jews of telling a lie. And now the Democrats use that phrase to call the Republicans Nazis without recognizing that in their very use of the phrase that the Democrats are putting themselves in the, in the very same place as the Nazis. Either, either way, it's neither here nor there. The, some propaganda is dishonest and lies. The best propaganda is true. And the propaganda China just put out about Mayor Pete happens to be true. Speaking of propaganda... 
New York Times right now has an op-ed called Steve Bannon's podcast is top misinformation spreader. Study says a large podcast study found that Mr. Bannon's war room had more falsehoods and unsubstantiated claims than other political talk shows. So this story is a New York Times article about a story that we covered on the show last week. And the story that we covered on the show last week was a story about me because it was a study that came out of the Brookings Institution that opened up with a quote from me in which I, on the show with Senator Cruz, said that uh, podcasts are the place where you can say whatever you want. Opens up with two or three paragraphs about me and this interaction and about how conservatives lie on podcasts. Then the rest of the study goes on and says conservatives lie something like 11 times more than Democrats lie on podcasts. And so I was looking at that study from Brookings and I pointed it out on the show. I looked at just some of their most basic data points and I realized they were totally bogus. One of the little graphs they had there was about the number of episodes that podcasters have produced. And it had, I think all of the Daily Wire shows were listed there. And I, I was looking and I noticed that it said that Drew and Matt had produced more episodes of their podcast than I had. Not that the episodes were more highly rated, not that the episodes were more conservative, not that the episodes told more lies. No, it was just simply about the number of episodes produced. And I looked at that and I said, I know that's not true. I went to the Daily Wire website, I looked at episode number, and I realized I, I have more episode numbers than Drew and Matt do. Simply because now Drew is once a week and Matt's show started after my show did. So that's, that's why I would have more episodes. And I said, wait a second. So they got that number wrong. And I looked, I said, when did they start collecting data for this or stop collecting data? I looked and I said, okay, it was a year ago. So we said, okay, well, Drew, I guess then, because the show wasn't only once a week, but so maybe that doesn't matter. But then I, but even a year ago, I still had substantially more episodes out than Matt did. And yet the graph said that Matt had substantially more episodes out than I did. All of which is to say the data in that study were bogus. The data weren't true. Forget about how they measured disinformation spread in podcasts. The, the way that they measure that was by going to left-wing fact-checking outlets, which are really just left-wing opinion outlets. But they try to have this patina of credibility. So they say, well, uh, we fact-checkers, hold on. I, I've got to take off my DNC t-shirt and put on my fact-checker t-shirt. Okay, I'm a fact-checker. I'm going to say that when those Republicans said that the Democrats are bad, that's a 10 Pinocchios. That's a total lie. And uh, okay, now I'm going to go over here and I'm going to put my uh, calculator statistician hat on and I'm going to punch in a bunch of numbers and they're going to be totally bogus even on the on the most basic level. Who Who is producing X number of podcasts, and then I'm going to put it here in this nice survey from a left-wing think tank called Brookings, and then, okay, here's our study, and then what happens? The New York Times, and these are all the same liars. The New York Times goes in, they say, well, we've got this study now, so we're going to publish this article, and the article is that Republicans are big, fat liars. That's it. That's the process. The process is you start with a leftist activist who says, I think Republicans are big, fat liars, and then you launder that impulse through bogus statisticians, bogus fact checkers, and a bogus news outlet called the New York Times, all staffed by the exact same leftist activists. And you say, well, this is very authoritative and scientific. And the, our scientific authoritative white lab coat, brilliant PhD credentialed conclusion is Republicans are big fat liars. I hate them. Just bogus. 
total propaganda, very dishonest propaganda too. That is, however, how fake news becomes established. That's it. That's the process. And it happens all the time. I just happened to notice this one a little more clearly because it involved something that involved me and that I knew just immediately was false. But this happens every day. This happens every day. And if you were still believing these people, I don't know that I can help you. Speaking of political campaigns, Nikki Haley has formally kicked off her presidential campaign. She had released a video some days ago saying, I'm going to run for president. She just held her first rally. And here is the campaign message. I have always had a deep belief in America, but I know America is better than all the division and distractions that we have today. And I'm confident that the American people agree. We're ready ready to move past the stale ideas and faded names of the past. And we are more than ready for a new generation to lead us into the future. Okay, what is Nikki doing here in this launch? She's opening up with a great dig at Joe Biden. Not a direct dig, but a pretty clear dig. She says, we're ready to move past the stale old desiccated names of the past. So that's obviously a dig at Biden. Biden's been in politics for over 50 years, national politics for over 50 years. It's a bit of a dig at Trump. Well, he's a name from the past. He was president starting in 2017. That was a long time ago. Okay. It's a dig at Trump. It's a dig at maybe some of the other candidates. And it's doubling down on Nikki Haley's centrist cred. Nikki Haley has gotten some bona fides in lots of different areas of the right. She worked for Trump. She put her hand up at the UN and she stood up against the bad guys. She also was more moderate and conciliatory when she was a governor of South Carolina. She can talk very tough. She can also be uh, a little more moderate in her speech. Which side is she going to run on? She's picking the center lane as she has to. She's not going to run to the right of Trump. Very few people can run to the right of Trump. DeSantis is attempting to run to the right of Trump right now and is being fairly successful at it. Nikki Haley is not going to run to the right of those guys. If you get a Ted Cruz in the race, if you get a Josh Hawley in the race, Nikki Haley is not going to run to the right of them. And so I think she very wisely is saying, no, I'm going to run more of a centrist campaign. And the proof of this is that her campaign message is, we're going to move beyond the past, which is the sort of thing that a lot of politicians say. But if you're running a centrist campaign, it carries even more significance. The the super right-wing conservative campaign slogan would be return to the past, return with a V instead of a U, you know, return to tradition. The, The conservative campaign slogan would be, we're going to look to the past and take the wisdom of the past and bring it into the present. And, and launch it forward into the future. We're going to draw on the best of our tradition, and then we're going we're to bring that forward. The center-right to kind of more moderate, even, say, classical liberal campaign slogan is, oh, forget about the past. The past is the past, and we're in the present. We're going to look toward the future. That is, that is going to be Nikki Haley's campaign slogan. I know a lot of conservatives aren't going to like that very much, but I do think that that line has some appeal. I think that the the number of 
Burkean conservatives wearing tweed and looking back to the glorious days of the Holy Roman Empire is a relatively small number of Americans. And so Nikki Haley is making a really mainstream play. The, the question is, can that message resonate in the primary where the conservatives have a lot more say? I'm not so sure, but I, I still don't think it's a mistake for her not to run further to the right. People need to, to know their lane. Right now, the lane she's running in is pretty wide open. The right-wing lane is getting very crowded with very, very big personalities. Speaking of politicians, speaking of, speaking of the center and the right kind of moving, moving so far to the left now that the, the hard, strong right-wing position is that men are not women and women are not men. Arkansas State Senator Matt McKee is under fire right now for grilling a transgender witness. It's a dude dressed up as a chick. And he asked this man a question that you are no longer allowed to ask the transgender people. Senator McKee, you're recognized. Are you telling us that you're unfamiliar with a large body of medical evidence of the harm that has come upon people that have gone through these processes? I'm familiar with a large body of evidence that shows that providing good affirming care saves lives. Are you saying that you're unaware of the large body of medical evidence of the harm that has come upon these people in these processes that have been gone through? Will, Are you unaware of that body of evidence? I will repeat what I just said. Are you unaware of that body of evidence? I will repeat what I just said. You said that you're a trans woman. I trans female, yes, ma'am, sir. Do you have a penis? That's horrible. You're the one. You're the one that brought that into the discussion. You're the one that I never said anything about genitalia. Oh, it is that everything. That's horrible. How dare you ask the? Why is that so bad? I remember this was a big deal when some confused man went on a talk show. I think it was Laverne Cox, I don't, whatever his real name is, at, from Orange is the New Black. And he went on one of the network talk shows and the interviewer said, do you have, do you still have your, do you still have the goods? And this was so shocking. How dare you? You can't ask this person that question. Why not? The crux of a lot of opposition to transgenderism. Don't forget, 80% opposition in America to transgenderism, specifically as it applies to kids, hinges on the idea that dudes can go into the girls' locker room and get naked. So whether or not a person has their genitals is a pivotal question here. How dare you ask that question? Good on this guy, Matt McKee. I hope that a lot of conservatives take this lesson and, and not only don't run away from the, the left wing, oh my goodness, clutching my pearls. I hope they actively seek it out. I hope that in every one of these testimonies about the transgender issue, I hope that the conservatives ask this question. Seek it out. This is a winning issue for us. And the, the more that the uh, radical pro-trans people in the room start screaming like banshees, the, the more the normal sane people are going to be convinced that they are right about this issue. Keep it up. Good job, State Senator Matt McKee. I really wanted to get to the craning company, Will Thomas, Leah Thomas story today. They had a, an explosive interview about that, the swimmer, the big giant dude who swims on the girls team and takes the trophies away from all the girls at UPenn. 
Uh, but we don't have time to do that. We've got to get to a more important story, I think. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to that tomorrow. If you haven't watched the Crane Co. interview on this, though, make sure you go check out that interview today. Because right now we turn our attention away from the seemingly perennial political issues of the transgender agenda, the radical cultural agenda, even the Great Reset agenda. We turn now to a major news story that is not getting nearly enough attention in Ohio. This would be the train derailment that sent uh, vinyl chloride and a number of other very, very dangerous chemicals up into the atmosphere. Local officials burned this stuff off. It put phosgene into the air. That was poison gas from World War I. Put hydrochloric acid into the air. It killed a lot of animals in the town. It caused an evacuation, though now the authorities are saying, oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Everything's fine. Don't worry about your water. Don't worry about your air quality. Come on back here. Let's get those news cameras out of Ohio and let's go back to normal. Well, if that's the case, how come we aren't hearing from people in the town itself? Uh, We will do that today with Lindsay Johnston, a 26-year-old wife and mother of two daughters who lives in the one-mile evacuation zone in East Palestine, Ohio. Lindsay, very sorry what happened to your town, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Michael. So, Lindsay, before we get to the reaction, what happened as you and your neighbors have seen it? Um, so my husband and I were actually, we were out of town just um, a few miles up north um, when it happened. And when we were on our way back, we had a bunch of people texting us, you know, are you guys okay? Um, what's going on up there? And we hadn't heard anything about it yet. Um, so we got we got home and we had been like watching things on the news and um, we just started packing immediately. Um, I don't think it was until later that they came around they came around with um speakers and their cars saying you know you should evacuate but at that point it wasn't mandatory yet Mm. um but we did leave that night um so we've been in we've been out for i think 12 13 days now um but i mean as of right now they say that it is safe for us to return home um they you know, February 6th, they were saying that there was, um, DeWine's words were, we were facing grave danger of death. Um, they were threatening child endangerment charges to anybody that did stay behind if they had children with them. And then two days later, they said it's absolutely safe to go home. How on earth are they going to reconcile those two statements? I mean, we, we've seen news reports that say, oh, it, there's no big deal. There's no health risk, not even to your animals. We've, we're testing the air. We're testing the water. And then you see the pictures and the videos of people who, who are looking at all of their chickens lying dead, whose, whose animals have died. Who, obviously, there's poison everywhere. How is, how is all that poison just cleared out of town? Poison that could have killed your children if you spent the night there. How could that possibly clear out of town in 48 hours? Right, exactly. Those are exactly our thoughts. Um, we know that there are some people that have returned um, and have gotten sick. Um, I know our neighbors went home for a day and they... Um, I think they and their one of their children broke out in a rash, um, had scratchy throats. I went back for just a half an hour to get some stuff from our house, and I left with a scratchy throat. Um, my husband's been at our house a few times to clean, um, and he said that for the last three days, he's been having trouble breathing. 
Um, yeah, it's, I mean, they've found at least 3,500 dead fish in the streams. And I mean, all the time on, you know, our East Palestine Facebook groups and things, their people are posting pictures of their animals and dead animals that they find with no, you know, indication of trauma or anything. Um, they're just dead with no explanation. How far out of town have you evacuated? Um, right now we are in Negley, um, which is just the next town over. We're on the far end of Negley, um, with my mom. Um, we had been, we'd been probably a half an hour out of town before that. Um, we were in two separate hotels, like going from different places and stuff, trying to figure stuff out. But, um, I know this is, you know, for a lot of people in town, it's hard to manage this. It's hard to afford. Nobody planned for this to have to spend two weeks in a hotel room. And I'm sure plenty Um, of people are also thinking, okay, you go one town over, you go two towns over. Well, we've just talked about an historic chemical explosion. It's not as though, you know, these places are going to be unaffected as well. What are the authorities doing and saying in town? Um, I mean, you know, there was, there was a town hall meeting last night. Um, and our mayor has said, you know, that he's fed up as well. Um, but we're really not seeing a lot happening. Um, I, I feel like we're not holding Norfolk as accountable as we should be. Hmm. Um, they rebuilt the railroad before the evacuation was even lifted. They rebuilt it over contaminated soil. And, you know, it's mostly the help is coming from local organizations, getting together, donating water, donating, you know, things to people that need it, um, sending food to the hotels where there are a lot of residents. Um, But I mean, their official statements are it's safe to return home. The water is safe to drink. But I mean, even Mike DeWine said that he would be drinking bottled water. Um, Of course. You know, and he said that he would return home. But I think that he would also have the financial ability to get you know, private testing done instead of the testing that's being contracted out by Norfolk Southern. This seems to be the biggest environmental disaster on U.S. soil in probably in my lifetime. I mean, uh, you you think about maybe 9-11 or, you know, a major terror attack uh, accepted in terms of just an actual accident, environmental catastrophe, you know, clogging up the air and the water. I haven't seen anything like it. Where's the federal government? I assume Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg hasn't come by. I know that President Biden hasn't come. Have you seen anything from the federal government? Well, our county is, uh, in in the last election, our county voted 71% Republican. So I, uh, I kind of feel like maybe we're not that important to the federal government. Wow. And especially with all the language about the flyover country and the deplorables and the irredeemables and let small town America die. Yeah, it's no surprise. I'm not surprised that East Palestine has been completely overlooked by the Biden administration, by the establishment media, by uh, pretty much everybody. But uh, once this news story goes away, as the people who write our news are trying to do more and more so by the hour, you're still going to have to live there. This is where your homes are. This, this whole town's going to have to live with this. And we, we can hear that the air is safe and the water is safe. Nobody actually believes that. You're telling me that your neighbors and even your husband are experiencing 
this is not safe. They are getting sick when they go back to clean the homes. So it's obviously just a complete crock that's coming from the authorities. And it's going to go on for years. And so what's going to happen? You live in this town for five years, 10 years, 20 years. What, what consequences are you going to have to deal with that the railroad isn't going to have to deal with, that the government's not going to have to deal with, that everybody is just going to look past? It's a really, really awful situation. I guess the, the only thing we can do is call some attention to it and demand that the government do a damn thing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're all concerned of what, you know, what health issues we might all experience down the line. And I mean, our home values, who, who's going to buy who, if we decide to move away, right? what are we going to do? Who's going to buy? Um, you know, it's people can't, if they're homeowners, they can't just up and leave. If you rent, it might be a little bit easier for you, but you know, we own our home. And so what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to, you know, avoid this when we don't know what's going to happen in the future right. and we don't believe what they're telling us? Right. And, and rightly so. You, there's no reason that you should believe what they're telling you. In fact, your own experience is proving that what they're saying is not true. Uh, Lindsay, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, you will be in our prayers as will everybody in East Palestine. And I hope that there is a little more political help that comes your way uh, from the people who are, who are absolutely overlooking you and uh, the rest of the people in your community right now. Uh, Lindsay Johnston, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. The rest of the show continues now. We actually have uh, another great person to talk to. I, talk, I mentioned him on the show uh, earlier. Uh, this is the guy who spoke truth to power this one conservative guy in that Vice documentary, all the libs clutching their pearls. It was just a marvelous performance. That will be on the member block. You don't want to miss it. Go to dailywire.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.